Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, his background includes team management in Major League Baseball and his current work involves fighting human trafficking. Kevin Malone in a pre-Father's Day conversation on The Meeting House discussed his son Sean and what God has done in his life and the reconciliation he brought. Learn more coming up. Plus, television personality Rosie Rivera experienced the death of her sister in an accident and became the executor of Jenny's estate. After childhood trauma and then her sister Jenny's death, Rosie learned to trust in the Lord and to allow Him to govern her emotions and responses. You'll find out more ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, Former Texas District Judge Roy Sparkman joined me recently to provide comments regarding threats to religious freedom in our nation and how churches could be impacted in the days to come. Finally, comments from Evan Wilkerson, whose father leads the Ministry of World Challenge, which was founded by his grandfather. Now this third-generation leader oversees the Faith Answers Apologetics Ministry of World Challenge, having been rescued by the Lord from an addictive lifestyle. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Kevin Malone was once the executive vice president and general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers and is the founder of Protect the Path, which stands for People Against Trafficking Humans, and president and co-founder of the United States Institute Against Human Trafficking. The relationship of his son, Sean, with the Malone family is featured in the short film, The Sean Miracle, which emphasizes how God has worked in the life of their son and in the family. From that Meeting House conversation, here now is Kevin Malone. Yes, I just have to give the Lord the praise and the glory. Uh, Our son, uh, years ago, uh, overdosed uh, and was declared brain dead. And they told my wife and I to pull the feeding tube to starve him to death, that he wouldn't come back. And if he did come back, he'd be what they called a vegetable or in a a state where he would just kind of dribble and not really know what was going on and he wouldn't want that that's what the neuro- neurologists were telling us and we said no we're going to pray fast and ask god for a miracle and bob uh god is faithful he delivered a miracle our son was in a coma sean 60 days god brought him out of that coma and then the rehab started and uh it's a true miracle uh you know that uh Kind of like the Lazarus story, God called out to Sean and and brought him back to life. And we were blessed to work with Brian Ivey and and make a a 20-minute docu-narrative. It's on the the power of prayer, the power of family, that God's still in the miracle business, that God is faithful. And it's called either the Sean movie or we just actually redid some aspects of it. We've got an amazing website, seanmiracle.com. It's a 20-minute docu-narrative again, Bob, on really on the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and it shows how God works. Francis Chan's on there, shares the gospel, and David Crowder was involved in, in a lot of different people. We're just thankful for, you know, we're just praising God every day, Bob, that he gave us our son back. What would you say to to families, as you mentioned, you knew that there were some issues, some things that Sean was struggling with. How, how did that affect you and your family during this particular time? It caused my wife and I, I mean, 
she's a tough love gal and thought that we needed to be tougher on him. I thought we needed to be easier on him and love him more. And it caused challenges. Our daughter, you know, was involved, but she didn't really know what to do. And it just causes confusion and chaos and, and strife and, and when you don't know what to do. And because this is darkness, addictions and, and, and things of that nature are really coming into the household. It's like darkness coming into the household. And praise God that the light will push the darkness out. And, and, and we depended on the Lord to do that. But it's a challenge and it's nothing to be ashamed of. And all your listeners, anybody going through anything with any family members or friends, there is help out there. And, and, and we, you know, got to the point where we were battling it and we were praying, God intervene, God intervene. And, and the next thing you know, you know, he overdosed and was, you know, on his way to hell because he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And we were concerned more about where he was going to spend eternity than anything else. And then the Sean Miracle uh, in the movie, the Sean Miracle movie, uh, my wife cried out to God that she needed a miracle because she wanted Sean to come back and, and get to know Jesus and have a relationship with him so that he would go to heaven. So. God heard our prayers, heard our cries, and, and he responded. Talk about, if you would, please, some of the details of what you saw God do after after Sean's life was extended. Well, that's a great question. I think, Bob, what we saw was that my son was drawn to the Lord. He realized something had happened that was supernatural, and he didn't know what it was, and he ended up uh, getting, you know, coming to know the Lord, getting saved, as we say. And uh, his life did a, a complete 180 turnaround. And he uh, started seeking the Lord and, and was interested in things the Lord. We went to Israel. We spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. And we were in the Galilee. And, and his heart changed, uh, Bob. It went from a, a, a young man that was seeking all the things of the flesh and, and things in the world. And, and then all of a sudden he was interested in learning Hebrew. So he studied Hebrew for a period of time and he wanted to know more about the Bible. He spent more time studying and reading the Bible and listening to worship music. And he fasts once a month. He'll fast for 24 hours uh, once a month. And he's been doing that for years and just seeking the Lord. And that doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes and, and mess up and still sin, but uh, it's just been miraculous to see uh, the anointing on his life. And we go and speak, we show the movie, Sean shares a testimony, I'll give a little message. And we are seeing a lot of people recognize their need for Jesus or people that have turned from the Lord, turning back to the Lord. Kevin Malone here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the short film, The Sean Miracle, by going to Sean, S-H-A-W-N, miracle.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Rosie Rivera, a podcast host, television personality, and the testamentary executor of Jenny Rivera Enterprises. She discussed how God has worked in her life even after childhood trauma and the death of her sister, Jenny. Material she covers in the book, God is Your Defender, Learning to Stand After Life Has Knocked You Down. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Rosie Rivera. She was my only sister, and even though we were 12 years apart, it was she was my best friend, my mentor, 
a mother-like figure, um, but we also had a, a blast together. And I, I, I loved her since I was a child. I just wanted to be with her so much that when I was being sexually abused, um, the man threatened to kill her. And he knew that that would scare me even more than if he had said he would kill me. So my whole life, I feared her death. I feared her death more than anything in the whole world. And I was, you know, healing from post-traumatic stress disorder when she died. I, I had been battling with uh, PTSD because of the sexual abuse, but Christ had already healed me mm. from the sexual abuse. So I thought, oh, okay, then that means that the post-traumatic stress disorder is healed. But when she dies so suddenly, so tragically, and so publicly, I started to battle with that again, with the dreams, with the night sweats, with the, yeah, I would even hear an airplane and just kind of go into an anxiety, um, not an attack, but just a, with a pre-attack. And, and then I had to go through that in public, which was, I mean, I think the even more difficult part, um, because I am, I am very timid, or I used to be, and I like handling my things in isolation. But you know what? God just didn't want it like that. God wanted to really, really glorify himself. And he allowed it to be public so that we could see his glory through a moment of breakdown, a moment of pain. And I really felt like I was in ruins. Like I, just any city that you have seen in ruins, the Colosseum, that's just how I felt. And I really knew that God had to do something. This wasn't because he was mad at us or no, it was, I'm going to glorify myself through your life. And, and that was the plan, just allowing him to do it. And it came with all the challenges. I mean, I was, um, I wasn't a businesswoman yet. I, I hadn't worked in the media and I was just so distraught from losing my sister that sometimes simply standing was the miracle itself. And I'm, you know, eight years later, I've began to heal. I am moving on and, and now seeing that God has never, ever left my side. And just to dig a little bit deeper, you became the executor of your sister Jenny's estate. You, in fact, refer to yourself as an accidental CEO. You had numerous attacks, yeah. lawsuits. Things were really yeah. playing out in public. You had people who were making claims against you. So all of this and and this occurring during the same time where you were still mourning the death of your sister who meant so much to you. Obviously, was God so, was there with you for sure. Yes, it was so difficult because my sister dies in December. And in January, I'm sitting in front of someone that's already saying, I'm going to sue you. I mean, what could I have done in two weeks mm. <laughs> that could have? And, and it was just it was business. It was living in this shark world. The music business, like every other business, has some sharks out there. And I started facing them very early on, and God let me know you're in, you know, you're in a shark tank, but you're a warrior. So He taught me what giants to slay, like Goliath, and what what giants to allow or to pardon for my character building. So these eight years of facing lawsuits, of attacking my character, of attacking my cred credibility very, very publicly, I wanted to stand up and say they're liars. I didn't do this. I always used to defend myself before I was in the walk with Christ. And, and God just taught me lovingly, kindly, I'm going to be there. Don't speak up. 
I'm going to defend you. I'm going to show them the truth. And I fell in love with the truth. I fell in love with the way and said, you know, the truth is going to, it's going to reveal itself. And it may seem to me like it's taking a long time, but every single time it has. And I've cried along the way, but I've also gained strength and perspective on who God is. And that's where this book come from, uh, comes from, is God is my defender because he has shown me not only that he is my defender, it's it, this book is more about what do I do? What should I do? When should I speak up? When do I slay the giant? When do I, you know, and, and I really learned that through hardships in being the executor of her estate. Rosie Rivera here on The Intersection. You can find her online at her Facebook page at Rosie Rivera, official O-F-I-C-I-A-L. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or the programming section at faithradio.org. There's a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are also links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the iTunes feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is the Intersection Podcast with Roy Sparkman, who is an attorney and served as a Texas district judge for over eight years. In a recent conversation with me, he shared about his concerns regarding religious liberties and specifically threats to pastors. He also described his fiction book, A Pastor's Pit. From that conversation, this is Roy Sparkman now. You know, we talk about religious liberty, and frequently when we talk about religious liberty, it's almost in a clinical manner of, okay, here's this is what happened to a pastor. Here's a law that got passed in. So what I really wanted to try to do was take the issue from a sterile academic context to an everyday story that people could relate to. And so it's it's about a, a pastor in Oregon that was preaching the Bible from the pulpit and um in the, you know, it, it was a very biblical sermon in the sense that he was talking about how salvation is by trusting in Christ alone. And he was saying if you're, even if you're a member of a church, like a Baptist church, a Methodist church, or a Muslim church, that doesn't save you. And if you don't trust Christ, you're going to hell. So then it begins the process of a group of Muslims began to uh, take issue with that. And it, it became a stirred up matter in the community. Uh, Oregon, like 47 other states, has a hate speech statute. And of course, we all think hate speech is bad. We salute not being allowed to have hate speech. But what I did is I took the the Oregon statute and I inserted one word, religion, into it uh, so that religion was a a form of hate speech. Um, And then the district attorney saw that and he saw what was happening uh, between this church and the pastor and the Muslim community. And he indicted the pastor for religious hate speech. Um, so he hired, the pastor hired his best high school friend who was a lawyer in Texas to come defend him. And so I take the case from the indictment all the way through the U.S. Supreme Court to try to um, show, you know, kind of the ins and outs of it. You know, when we talk about, oh, a pastor got 
charged with this, we don't think about the, the ripple effect and the implications. Like the, it impacts his wife, it impacts his kids, it impacts his church, it impacts his community. There are kids in his church that go to the high school, it impacts the high school. And there, then there are twists and turns that go all the way through there of different, perhaps un, what I hope would be unexpected events that will uh, create some interest and attention on the part of people that they can see how quickly this right could be in, uh, taken away, the religious liberty, how quickly this could be imposed upon them, and the potential that in these kinds of statutes, um, you could have district attorneys and judges sitting there passing judgment on, yes, this sermon is okay, but no, that sermon on a marriage between a man and a, wo a woman, that is not okay. That's hate speech. You cannot preach that, even if it's from the Bible. And so I wanted to do it in a, in a way that maybe people could relate to, that they could enjoy, but that would uh, bring the reality of this potential issue home very much. I, I think this attack on pastors is, is a very real potential. And that's kind of what I wanted to do, was do it in a different way and in a different format. Well, and we've seen during this coronavirus pandemic that there, as you had recounted to us just a few moments ago, there have been instances where there has been overreach by governmental officials in attempting to regulate the church. Chilling effect when you think about pastors whose speech could be limited, curtailed, and they might even be jailed for violating ordinances, for violating the law, just simply because they preach the scriptures. I was just going to say, and one of the things that I do want to point out is, while we I've taken it from a Christian perspective, you know, if you begin to take away religious liberty, it's not just the Christian faith that will be impacted. I mean, I could cite you to cases right now that where uh, religious liberty has been attacked on the Jewish faith, on Catholics, on Muslims, on Native Americans. I mean, it, the spectrum goes out. It's not just those of us that call ourselves Christian. Once you take away religious liberty, it's, it's taken away from everybody, not just one select group, yeah. even though we tend to be a, a big target. Roy Sparkman here on The Intersection. You can find him online at judgeroysparkman.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's the manager of Faith Answers, the Apologetics Ministry of World Challenge, Evan Wilkerson, who shared with me about how his life got off track when he was younger, how he was set free by Christ from drug and alcohol addiction, and the purpose of this relatively new arm of World Challenge. Here now from that recent Meeting House conversation is Evan Wilkerson. I came to the point where I realized I am going to die unless there's some kind of miraculous intervention. I went to rehab and thought I was, you know, cured and then relapsed a week later. So I was on my knees pleading to God, God, I, I know that you exist. I know that you're real. I've ran away from you for the last 10 years. But I know that if you don't intervene, I'm going to die this way. Mm. Uh, I gave every human effort to to pull myself out of it, and nothing worked. And I remember as I was meeting with a, a drug counselor, he was saying, God knows and sees the things that you do, all the pain pills, all the, the drinking, all the partying, and it breaks his heart when you do that. So next time, just think about saying you're sorry to him and see what happens. I thought it was a pretty stupid idea, but one day after partying, feeling pretty hungover, I went up to take a shower, and um, 
remember what my counselor said. So I thought I'd give it a shot and said, Lord, I'm sorry. That's it. Nothing, no long, meaningful prayer of repentance, just those three simple words. And I I was sincere about it, but it was just very simple. Uh, Pretty much immediately after I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I fell to my knees in tears of joy because of this overwhelming sense of God's love just rushing down upon me. I had this uh, electrifying feeling of um, going through my, my fingers and my hands and my face and just totally overwhelmed by by God's love and everything else had faded away in that moment. Um, nothing was was present except for God and his love and I, I knew I was forgiven in that moment. I knew that uh, he he loved me, that he died for me. That And then uh, Christianity at that point kind of clicked for me. Like I realized why my dad was uh, going around setting up churches. I knew why my grandfather was preaching in the streets of New York, why he preached to gang leaders uh, was, was because of, of Christ and his forgiveness through God's love. And, and I sensed that, I felt that, I experienced it in that moment. And I'd like to say that everything got better after that point, that I just, my whole life turned around after that day and it was a miraculous step free, but it didn't. And I actually got worse. I actually moved mm-hmm. into uh, pain pill, uh, more pain pills and then eventually heroin. And, and so you kind of think like, well, how does that work? I mean, that was the most that was the most miraculous experience I've had with God even to this day. But it just shows me two things that one, God gave me his best when I was at my worst and was even going to get worse. And two, that he, he gave me that experience to hold on to for uh, the future breakthroughs that I was going to need. Eventually, uh, slowly but surely, God just started uh, uh, breaking away the, the habits of addiction. How is it that you came on board with the ministry, and what does Faith Answers do? So I've had a passion for apologetics uh, for as long as I uh, had, since I had rededicated my life to the Lord back in uh, 2014. Uh, so apologetics is, is giving an answer or a defense for the Christian faith, specifically set towards answering objections or doubts about the Christian faith, and when, um, so I had done youth ministry before, and so my dad was kind of brainstorming with me that, you know, a lot of teenagers are leaving the faith. There's, you know, record high, something from anywhere from 50 to 70 percent of teenagers are leaving the faith once they hit college, and I saw a survey that showed, that asked why they were leaving, and usually it had to do with some sort of unexpressed doubt uh, and intellectual doubts as well. And so this this ministry, Faith Answers, was really birthed out of a need to answer the big questions, the tough objections and doubts and questions that, that teenagers have in order that they would be uh, deepened in their faith and be able to be a bold witness to the culture. Evan Wilkerson here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website worldchallenge.org front slash faithanswers. 
We are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through the programming section of faithradio.org or by going to meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as to iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.